Okay, so we're in our fourth chapter um, of The Way of the Disciple. This week, and he's honing in on uh, the episode in Mark's Gospel with the blind man Bartimaeus. I think of all uh, the chapters, this one appears to be kind of the most um, obvious, <laughs> I think. Um and so, you know, at this point, we've been reading about uh, just what discipleship, like the, the core content of discipleship is, and that being theosis. And this theosis is an identification with Christ. And we've been walking through um, the third chapter that, that really talks about the the radical union of Christ's life and ours, right? So his homelessness, his poverty um, throughout his life in some way takes place in our life um, as well. The more we attach ourselves to him, the more keenly we feel that. And then we get to the Leaping Bartimaeus, um, this fourth chapter. And once again, we kind of do something that seems really familiar when it comes to gospel texts, uh, when it comes to our own Lexio Divina, and that's putting ourselves in the place of the um, the person that's been healed by Christ and interacting with Jesus in that. So this is a, a kind of straightforward Lexio Divina of this uh, passage. So let's walk through it a little bit. Um, it, it could be very easy to gloss over this one, I think. Um, things that we've seen before. He summarizes on pages 75 through really 78, the three essential stages of discipleship, right? Um, there, there's a different stage. And I think there's a, there's almost a revolving stage. So one of the, one of the um, images that always kind of comes to mind that's been helpful to me is like a pyramid that's kind of made of a coil. You kind of are walking along and you're walking ever upward and it kind of solidifies more and more towards one point, right? Like at the very top, I'm just at a point. I have nowhere else to like go. In discipleship, as soon as I reach one point, the thing is it opens up to, oh, wait, there's a whole nother element to this. So it feels like even though I've gotten to the point or this pinnacle, now suddenly I find myself going back around in a circle, going up to a new point and then up to a new one and up to a new one. So with these stages, it's not a one-off kind of a thing. The three essential uh, stages he describes towards the bottom of 77 is the recognition of one's true condition the exposition of it to the one who can heal, and finally, the persistence required in the face of opposition. And so many of the men that I would work with and focus struggled with something, uh, some issues with chastity or something like that. College guys in their late teens and 20s, pretty par for the course. But uh, as soon as we would come to you're honing on like one mortal sin or a couple mortal sins with that usually. And you're just trying to rewrite how your mind thinks about stuff and, and your patterns of behavior and learn how to love through that. And you get to this point where you're like, oh, this mortal sin is out of my life in a really habitual way. And then eventually you get to the point where it's like now it's like out of my life in general, not even like a periodic struggle anymore. And, and then, after that, you look and you say, oh, wait, 
it's not this particular sin, but there's something underlying it that caused this. There's an attitude. There's, you know, a pervasive selfishness. There's an emptiness. There's a sense of unworthiness or something that you find is the root of that thing. And so it feels like you're starting from ground one again, and then you coil your way up back to this new point, and then you coil your way up from that up to a new point. And ever... Uh, ever ascending kind of circular ladder kind of a thing. And so this is what um, Bartimaeus shows us, and he shows us how to navigate this at every stage. So no matter where we're at, we can look really toward this whole chapter, um, this whole section of Mark's gospel where it deals with blindness. And we can follow Bartimaeus' example. We can follow the example of Peter. All right, so he brings this up in... Uh, in the chapter, but uh, this section of Mark's gospel is all about this question of blindness. It opens up with a, a healing, right, of a blind man, and then it goes to a series of questions that uh, the disciples have for Jesus in the midst of their conversations to the profession of Peter, and then it kind of bookends with another blindness uh, another another healing of the blind. And then it goes to really the passion narrative. And it's interesting, the the two bookends with blindness, because Mark is saying something. His is the discipleship gospel. That's why you see the word immediately over and over and over again, because he has a sense of immediacy, of discipleship, of getting out, of following Jesus, of being radical, that kind of stuff. And so in this section, as Jesus is healing physical blindness, he's trying to point to our spiritual blindness. As I'm thinking about this chapter, this is really what I'm talking about. This, I know this stuff. You know, I can kind of write this thing off and, and move on to the next thing, or I get that. Or And it's not just maybe this chapter. Maybe you're actually thinking this is a really profound chapter, and you're like, this doesn't apply to me. But surely all of us that have been following Christ for a certain amount of time have come to a point where we go to a talk and we're like, I got this, I'm past it, um, or something like that. And that can be a sense of blindness, right? So you go back to the very first healing in this section that's that um, Erasmo talks about. Apparently, we're on first name basis now that he talks about. And he says that there's a progressive healing with the first blind man. And it's interesting, his description. He says, I can see shapes, but it looks like trees walking. Right? What, we're going to see trees walking later on. Right? We're going to see uh, Jesus ascending a mountain with his cross about to be crucified. That just looks like trees walking. That just like, what sense does that make? There's no clarity. There's a blurriness. And it's Peter then who Jesus is now trying to call out the spiritual blindness that his physical healing of this other man was, was trying to get the apostles to see, right? He, he does a, he does a, uh, actual physical healing to try and draw the apostles into this place where they can acknowledge their own spiritual blindness yeah and so through that he kind of, he 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 brings this out a little bit and then peter is able to receive the Holy Spirit and proclaim who Christ is. And at the end of this section, you see what happens when that happens to us, right? When we acknowledge our condition and we acknowledge who Christ is, Bartimaeus takes all of these things and he summarizes it in himself. So he sees Jesus and he proclaims Jesus. And the chapter 
Maricakis talks about he's surviving on little daily bits of charity, little things that he can grab, but he seems to be waiting for the Messiah because what title does he use? Son of David. Right? This traditional messianic phrase, and Jesus actually accepts it from him, which he doesn't from others. Right? So he's accepting these little, these little bits of charity. He's obviously in the sense of misery, but he cries out because he's looking for the Messiah, and the Messiah passes by him. And immediately when he receives his sight, Jesus says, go your way. And Mark says he follows him on the way. He makes Christ's way his way. So if you take all these these episodes in the Gospels, and you're seeing Bartimaeus, he's stitching together this whole thing. And he's giving us a model for how we as disciples can continue to ascend, especially when we think that we've reached a point, right? Sometimes we realize we reached a point, we reach it in this new sense of humility where our eyes are opened up and realize we don't know anything yet. And sometimes we're a little bit deluded when we get to that like peak moment or one of our peak moments. And we think I have reached this peak, this pinnacle, there's nothing else other than this. And we need in some way, shape or form to experience our own need, our own poverty, in order to realize, hey, I have I have a whole nother pyramid to ascend, right? There's one other kind of practical insight that I thought of in this book. Um, he ends the chapter. It's a really powerful phrase, and I know um, Erasmo has some background in the Eastern Rite of the Church, and so he's calling upon the idea that the uh, call of Bartimaeus has become popularized or one of the scriptural passages that has been used to form what we now call the Jesus prayer. And he says at the end of um, the end of the chapter, we may say that the wise practice of energy conservation is essential to a vibrant spiritual life. You can read to see more what that means, but where do you concentrate your energy basically? So that our whole soul may be spent in Bartimaeus's one cry, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Right, and that's in, in of the spiritual life in the East. That is what they spend their spiritual energy on for many reasons. One, they, I think there's a, a great, rich spiritual teaching that we place ourselves in the place of Bartimaeus constantly in our whole life. Right, throughout our whole life. The other part is if we fill our minds with prayer. There's no room for other thoughts. Uh, there's a, a great kind of analogy that I've, that I've heard that the more I speak with Christ and I fill my thoughts with his name, if the evil one comes to tempt me, he will hear who I'm speaking to and who is present in the house of my soul, my mind, and my heart. And he won't really want to break in because he knows who's there. It's the same thing as if I have like a, a bunch of people and they're up talking and the lights on, uh, burglars aren't going to be very attracted to that place because they know that they'll be seen and found out. Right. So there's this idea of taking this prayer of Bartimaeus in the East and making your whole life, your whole day, even like your very breath into a prayer that you call out with Jesus. All of your energy is conserved and then poured out into this interior cry. Uh, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of the living God, have mercy on me. And from that ceaseless cry and that pointing of um, all my energy towards that one goal, ceaseless prayer, receiving the mercy of God, 
then my life eventually, slowly but surely, gets kind of consumed by prayer, right? And um, and so we don't need to take on necessarily the Jesus prayer. Maybe you have something else, but I would invite you to simplify your prayer to one like Bartimaeus's. Um, this is a, a quote from the book, The Art of Prayer, that was compiled by, I think it's uh, Sheraton of Valamo. Uh, a Russian monk, but he's taking a writing from an Eastern or a Russian Orthodox saint, Saint Dmitry of Rostov, who's talking about the shortness of prayer. And he says that prayer should be short, but often repeated. And this is his argument. He says, do not try to use many words, lest your mind become distracted by the search for words. Because of one short sentence, the publican received the mercy of God. And one brief affirmation of belief saved the robber. An excessive multitude of words and prayer disperses the mind in dreams, while one short word or a sentence helps to collect my mind. So Bartimaeus is one thought, one prayer, one line in mind. And his whole life he receives healing on a physical, a spiritual, an emotional level, and he unites himself to Jesus. And so I, I would say in your conversations with Christ, fixate yourself on one prayer, one phrase, one word, one thing that we call out for so that we can conserve our energy, pour it into that one thing that Christ is calling me to so he can help me to ascend that spirally pyramid thing that we're talking about here and we can come to a new point and see a new vista not so that we can settle there and be you know pat ourselves on the back for having ascended past whatever has been before us but we can see oh man I have even more to go and so in humility can continue to ascend closer and closer and closer to Christ Hey everyone, it's Eric Gallagher, the founder of Sushipe. With Advent quickly approaching, I wanted to invite you to join our upcoming book study that will begin on November 29th. Fred and Kara from the organization Draw Near will be leading us through a chapter a week book study on the popular text, I Believe in Love, a personal retreat based on the teachings of St. Therese of Lisieux. Each week, Fred and Kara will offer a simple reflection on a chapter and will guide online discussions through the Sushipe platform. This is an excellent book and opportunity for anyone who's desiring to grow in their spiritual life. Find out more by visiting sushipe.co slash study. That's S-U-S-C-I-P-E dot C-O slash study.